0: What's up everybody it's real with jordan and demi in los angeles is jordan edwards demi is out today so it's just me and today we've got Lindsay sterling what's up Lindsay?
1: hi i'm excited to be here thanks for having me
0: yes you got this new album um snow waltz out october 7th it's um a follow-up to your last christmas album so my first question is when you're making a second Christmas holiday album what direction do you go how do you change it up To where it's like worth making a second one, you know?
1: Right, I know. I I had the same thought as I was starting, but um, you know, my first Christmas album, I feel like I almost used it as an excuse to kind of depart from my very like Lindsey Sterling style, and I leaned more into like what traditional Christmas is. Like I had some big band songs on there, and um, with this album, I was like, I want to just take a straight up like me approach to it. And so this Christmas album is much more of the like whimsical fantasy style that is present in, um, you know, my original albums. Um, And also, there's just such a fun repertoire of endless songs to choose from for Christmas. And so there was a lot of songs I wanted to to put on my first album that I just didn't have room for. And so it was great to get to revisit Christmas time, make a second album full of all new songs in my style.
0: And the, the lead single, this Ice Storm song, um, is a really cool, like you were talking about, sort of whimsical, a little bit darker sounding than a lot of Christmas songs. And you've got this really cool animated video for it. You, We don't get the traditional Lindsey Sterling violin choreography, epic <laughs> movement kind of thing. We have a, a cartoon. So tell us about the decision to make that video.
1: Well, actually, you'll be fascinated to know, it was actually all made out of paper. It's not animated. Um, which I thought was really cool. These, These guys, you know, actually cut out and make out of paper all of those scenes and then stop animation it. Um, and, uh, you know, that seemed like a fun way to like give a soft launch to the album because, um, I'm going to do plenty of the more like Lindsey Sterling dancing around in the forest and all that stuff, you know, and then some of the more stylized, like storytelling videos. Um, those are definitely coming, but, um, it seems so early to like do a full on Christmas video when it pre-launched in like July or August, whenever that happened. So, um, so I almost wanted to, you know, do this little... Cutesy, cartoony one, and then um, once the holidays actually kick off, I'm going to kind of launch these more magical, big Christmas-themed ones.
0: Right, right. I feel like with you, the holiday season must be one of the most busy times of the year, and your family must just kind of get used to the idea that you're going to be doing shows, you're going to be doing tours, you're going to be doing TV appearances. So just get used to it. You're not going to see a lot of Lindsay <laughs> for the next month and a half or something.
1: Yes, I mean, my family has gotten very used to the like, I show up on Christmas Eve every year. Um, And so we kind of extend our holiday after Christmas is when we do a lot of our like, traditions and stuff. Uh, They're so kind to do that for me so that I can feel a part of all of it.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's kind of like uh, when you have a birthday around Christmas, and you do like the extra Christmas extra gift exchange or something. Right. I want to talk not just about the the whole Christmas thing, but even the style um, that you know Ice Dance has kind of more rock and roll, almost like heavy metal drums on it. And I think a lot of fans expect more electronic, dancey, sort of dubstepy sort of beats. Um, when you know, think about like um, not just last Christmas album, but your last album Artemis. Yeah, um, was more electronic. So where did this kind of heavy metal drum thing come from?
1: Well, it was really funny because I was I was working on rock music um, for myself, but also for other artists. I was in a bunch of rock sessions at the very top of the year and suddenly decided to switch directions and go into Christmas. But I was still doing some of these rock sessions. So I kind of just had that in my mind as I started the Christmas album. And. um, Hence why you hear so much rock influence in this one song. Also, I grew up loving Trans-Siberian Orchestra. And so this particular song, I feel like, was a little bit of a hat nod to um, my buddies at TSO. um, And, uh, you know, and this was definitely the most rock-driven song on the album. Um, A lot of the other ones feel a little more of the whimsical and a little bit a little bit more of the orchestral or electronic direction. Um, but uh, yeah, this one was just a super fun, like. In other words, I, don't I
0: get stuck on the sound of the of the lead single. It's, it's a little yeah. bit of a red herring. Yeah. It,
1: okay. I know. I was a little bit worried that people might think that was the whole album because I was like, you know, this one is right. a little bit of a left of center from the rest of the music, but it's still fun.
0: Yeah. I want to. You know, there's, I'm sure you've told origin stories over and over again, but what I'm interested most about you, I don't want to hear about, you know, playing violin, your kid, everyone has a story about right. you know, parents gave them the violin all, but I want to know at what point did you realize that I'm not going to be just a normal string player. I'm going to incorporate movement. I'm going to incorporate different styles of music. I want to be a different kind of violinist. When did that happen?
1: You know, I was a senior in high school. And I heard about this pageant. It's the at the time it was called the Junior Miss Pageant. Now they call it the Distinguished Young Women Award, but it's an ongoing pageant for senior girls. And, um, you know, you have to do the the um the poise category where you walk in an evening gown, like you um have to have a talent, you have to do an interview portion where you um, you know, so it's it's pretty much it's a very straight up pageant. Um, but I needed money for college and it was very, not my thing to do a pageant, but I, I knew you could win scholarship money. And so I did it. And as I was getting ready for it, I was gonna play a classical piece cause that's what I did. I was a classical violinist, but there was like six violinists in the competition and we were all gonna play concertos for our talent. And I just thought to myself, well, gosh, like how am I gonna stand out? Like I, I don't, I play about the same as these other girls. Um, and so what, um, I I was talking to my mom one night and I was like, I wish I could make it fun. And she goes, well, make it fun then. <laughs> and, you know, it really occurred to me and I, I had played in a rock band a little bit. So I ended up writing this rock version of a violin song, um, completely original little song, the first original song I'd ever written. And I choreographed that I was gonna like kind of jump around the stage while I played it almost more for humor than cool factor. It was more like a humorous little rock song. Um, But when I performed it, the audience went so nuts for it. And it was the first time I really felt like I had had fun performing. I had impressed people before. I'd been proud of performances before um, as a classical violinist. But this was the first time I felt like I truly entertained people. And that was a magnetic feeling that I was like, wow, I got to figure out how to do that again because it was magical. Um, And that was kind of the beginning of it.
0: Wow. So were your parents, so I know that the, the YouTube was a big, a big thing for you early on. In yeah. The, you were kind of an early YouTube person. Um, yeah, I was. When, when did that, when did that go from something fun to like post my videos on to like, Oh, this is a real deal. This is a career. This is the direction I want to go in.
1: Yeah, it was kind of like a slow burn process. I didn't really understand what YouTube was in the beginning. Um, I don't I I didn't realize that you had your own channel and that you could have followers on it. Social media was also new at that point.
0: Right. And so
1: I actually posted one video only because I wanted to get on the Ellen DeGeneres show. And when I told them what I did, like there was a contact us section of her website. Um, I, I told them what I did. And they're like, well, post a video on this site and then send us a link. So I posted this video to YouTube and it got, at the time, this was a lot. It got like 400,000 views very quickly, which, like I said, that was a lot back then in like 2007. And yeah. I didn't know what to do with it, though. I was like, wow, a lot of people watched it. Cool. What does that mean? Um, and it wasn't till years later, you know, this little video sat there and just kept gearing up views. And um, years later, I met someone who introduced himself to me as I'm a YouTuber. And I was like, oh, that's a thing what is what is what do you mean like you post cat videos all the time i didn't understand yeah. and um anyways he ended up teaching me his name's devin graham he still does it um but he ended up teaching me that you can have a channel how to get followers how to treat it like a business how to treat it like your own network and um it changed my life and that's what i um so it was kind of like by degrees figuring out my style that i liked figuring out that people were actually interested in it and then figuring out how to make it a brand
0: Right. Right. And when it comes to the instrument itself, one thing that's always fascinating to me, because I've covered classical music um, for, for years, I, I was a music journalist in the DC area and I covered a lot of classical uh, concerts and stuff. And what one thing that was always fascinating to me was the instruments themselves, especially yeah. when we got, we got a lot of um, uh, Chinese and Eastern European um, string players that would have mm-hmm. these three or three or 400 year old violins. Do you have a special violin? Cause I know you have several violins with names and things like that, but do you have like an old school like haunted violin from like 1812 or something? <laughs>
1: right, with the stories. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I have a violin that's very special to me. Um, it's the violin that I like took all my savings and bought when I first became like, I wanna be a professional. Um, And uh, its name is Excalibur. Um, I named it that. That's not its name. Um, But uh, it's an old, like, it's over 100 years old German-made violin. Um, And I always love to think of violins almost like Harry Potter wands. You know, it's like you go in a shop and you try out all these violins until one speaks to you and you create magic. And that's how I felt when I went and found my violin. Um, You know, I played countless violins for like six hours until I found the one that was mine. And since then, it's funny, I've gone and played much more expensive violins thinking about possibly like leveling up. And I always walk out being like, I love mine. Like mine is my favorite.
0: And is it the sound, not just the feel, but the sound of it? You like the sound of it?
1: Yes, it's the sound. It's got this very rich warm tone to it. It responds really well with microphones, which is a whole different thing. Certain violins sound better because they all have different frequencies and mine just happens to record really nicely. Um, as well as just have a nice warm, I like warmth.
0: Yeah, well, it suits your it suits your style, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. And obviously your your stage shows are a big part of your your reputation and you as a performer. At the beginning, were your movements sort of improvised and then they got more sophisticated and you have choreographers? or Tell me about how the movement comes to be with your performances.
1: Yeah. um, You know, when I first started out um, trying to move and play, everything had to be actually very choreographed because I could not like I, I didn't have the, um, I guess the tool belt of natural movements that matched a violin in order to just be able to like improvise and do this because I'd have to think too hard about the dancing. And then, you know, you actually cannot think about two things at once. They both have to be pretty seamless in order to multitask. And so, yeah, in the beginning, it was all very like, I know exactly where to step. I know exactly when to kick. I know exactly when to look at the audience and smile. It was all very curated um, just because that's the only way I could perform. Um, But it was all choreographed by me. So it was choreographed. It was more like moving around kind of gracefully on beat than dancing. Um, And since then, I've now worked with choreographers. And so now it's it's just choreographed in a different way. It's very much me and dancers all moving in between each other. we've added some aerial work into the show again. So, um, so yeah, it's all pretty choreographed, but then when I'm on stage alone, I now have the ability to just kind of flow with it and do what I want.
0: Yeah. That's, that's, that's totally not what I was thinking. I just assumed that you had kind of naturally started moving and then retroactively choreographed things. That's interesting to me that it was actually oh no. kind of the other way around.
1: I was, um, even when I was a kid, like classical violinists don't dance and play like while they play. However, they move and they emote when they play. And I could never do that. My teacher was always like, move a little bit, Lindsay, like emote the music. But I was literally like a statue. And so when I wanted to try to add movement, it was very much a choice and a conscious effort and very unnatural and, um, took a lot of like awkward training,
0: (laughs) Oh, interesting. We yeah. didn't know. That's that's uh that's a good that's a good uh, behind the scenes kind of story there. Right? Yeah. Did you always like classical music or did you always want to make something other than just Bach and Beethoven?
1: I liked classical music almost because that's how I was I was raised on it. Like my parents loved classical music and they were always playing it in our home and they would take us to like orchestra concerts in the park. And like, it was just a big part of my life. And it's what made me want to play the violin when I was six years old, is I I wanted to play that music that I was hearing. But as I got older, I just got really burnt out of it. And I think what burnt me out the most was the lack of um, what I, the kind of creative expression that I needed, I was not finding. Like I am like a thousand percent driven by creativity, by the idea that I can think something and make it happen and turn it into something new and mold it. And classical music though, is very much you, um, you're valued based on how much you can regurgitate something that is dictated to you. Every note is told, you know, what one to play, how to play it, how short it should be, how long it should be, how aggressive it should be, like everything is written out for you. And um, your job is to play it perfectly. And I just realized I was never gonna be great at that. Um, And so that's when I realized like, I need to find a way to express, you know, my own ideas through this instrument rather than making me fit the violin, I had to make the violin fit me.
0: And you were never tempted to just put it down and pick up a guitar and join a rock band?
1: Oh, I was tempted for sure. Um, but I think by the time I I thought of that, the violin was so much a part of my identity. And I had um, you know, I was always Lindsay that played the violin, you know? And right. um, so I did consider quitting at one point, but also I had put so much work into it. Like I was just like, I don't want to start from way,
0: just I don't want to yeah. start
1: from square one again with something like and the violin, I don't think I realized at the time that the violin is like is one of the hardest instruments to learn and so in my mind if i was going to start at something i was going to take like 10 years to get decent at it because that's kind of what the violin is like and i was like i'm not investing another 10 years to become decent at something i'm really good at that. there's a
0: lot of crappy guitar players out there who kind of pass off in their (laughs) rock bands so you know an option down the the road i still
1: could (laughs) switch
0: yeah you still could switch or just kind of supplement it sometimes or something right yeah exactly exactly um, going back to, you mentioned that you, you know, we mentioned that uh, the Ice Storm song has more rock drums and that you listen to rock and all stuff. And we didn't, uh, let's talk about the, the Amy Lee collaboration that you mm. did a while back. Really cool video, by the way. Thank um, you. Yeah. And if you're looking for um, a really good Lindsey Stirling cinematic video, Go check out the the Amy Lee collaboration. So how did this come together? Did you guys know each other ahead of time? Was it just, you know, managers, you know, communicating with each other? How did this work?
1: I tell you, I manifested it years ago. I have been an Evanescence fan since I was, you know, heard their song on the radio for the first time. I remember hearing My Immortal and being like, this is magic you know like yeah. she inspired me a lot in the way that I have approached writing music you know Evanescence and Amy Lee um and uh when I first started my path as a musician I covered like I covered some of their songs um then I wrote several songs and pitched them to their team hoping she would sing them and it was never the right time and I was probably just too small of an artist at the time I was a baby
0: yeah
1: um And then years later, like, I don't even know if Amy knew that I had written songs for her. I bet it stopped at management. But then years later, um, I get the email that Amy Lee wants you to play on one of her songs. And that was like... Oh my gosh. And so it's like I manifested it, I put it out there, I dreamed and hoped for it. And, and then you're like, it. no, no, and and then not just,
0: anymore. You had your <laughs> chance. <laughs>
1: Sorry. <laughs> Imagine. But it was just like it came to me in the most unexpected way. We ended up touring together, kind of based on that collaboration. We did a co-headline tour, which was just amazing. And then um, it was cool when I wrote Love Goes On and On. I was able to just call her up and say, Amy, I wrote a song and I think your voice would be perfect. And she said, Absolutely. And so now we're friends and it's, you know, it's a really, they always say never meet your idols. And I am so lucky that I met mine and she's the freaking coolest person on the planet.
0: Yeah. Have you known now that you, you know, you, I'm sure you've met a lot of your idols. Have you found that that's pretty true that most of them are actually pretty good people? I think honestly, most people are pretty good. You to call anyone out who was a jerk, just like someone from like 2017. I met so-and-so at a show and they were
1: I could. Ooh, it's tempting. But you know what? Most people are surprised. Like most people I think are pretty great. You know, like occasionally, you know, you see someone on not a great day. And I always feel bad when, you know, you hear stories about artists. where, Oh, I met them once and they were. Um, but because you're like, everybody has bad days. I've had bad days. And um, yeah. but yeah, most of the people I've met have been charming and lovely. And there's a reason they're successful. It's because people want them around.
0: Yeah. 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 Speaking of, uh, collaboration, you there on this, on this upcoming album, you do have a there's a lot of collaborations and I understand that you have the song with David Archuleta. That's really special to you. Can you explain what that's about?
1: Yes. Um, it's called magic and, um, Ah, This, uh, it's probably one of my favorite songs on the album. And it's basically about finding the magic that exists at Christmas time and allowing it to last all year. Um, And, uh, but more importantly, it's, it's, I wrote it because of a conversation I'd actually had at church and a lesson we had where it talked about the difference between like joy and happiness and how happiness is based on circumstance, but joy is inner, you know, joy comes from within you and it's something that can last even through adverse circumstances. It's not dependent upon situations or outside. It comes from inside. Um, and there's a line in the song that says, who says there can't be joy when the lights go out. And sorry, I'm going to get teared up here. But uh, my dad passed away several years ago. And um, I remember one of the most like, Clear clarity moments I've ever had was um, as me and my sisters and my mom were all around his, you know, his bed in the hospital as he was passing. And we decided that we would um, start to share good memories about him. We didn't even know if he could hear us anymore because he couldn't speak. Um, and so we just started sharing funny stories and times of like joy. And before you knew it, we were all laughing and crying. Um, and I was so aware at that moment that in spite of what i was losing in that moment i was more grateful i was more consumed with gratitude for what i had and that was the love of a father for my entire life that raised me and um that became more powerful than the loss um and although i was still so sad and circumstantially devastated i was filled with joy um and I, I, you know, you learn that emotions are complex and you can feel a lot of things at once as you grow up. Um, but uh, so, yeah, this idea that even through hard times, you can have gratitude, you can have joy. And I think that one of the times a year that that's the most evident is Christmas.
0: Well, wow, Thank you. Thank you for sharing that, that I wasn't expecting that. Um, but that's I really like when there's a true meaning behind something and not just, Oh, I think it sounded good, you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. So let's lighten it up a little bit. Let's talk about Christmas (laughs) songs in general. I'm interested in someone who both grew up with Christmas songs in the household. Um, You mentioned um, going to church. Your faith is very important to you. And I'm sure you've heard many renditions of many Christmas songs over the years. So what are some of your favorites? What do you, what do you, like enjoy hearing and where do you like oh that can stay away for another year <laughs>
1: <laughs> you know for me a lot of times it's all about the arrangement you know like there's um i mean there's certain classics like carol the bells is one of my favorites that's why it was sure. on my first christmas album and then um sleigh ride is also one of my favorites was why it's on this christmas album i couldn't figure it out for my last one and i liked it too much to just throw on a rendition so I saved it and I figured it out. I tried like four different r- arrangements and finally figured it out. So Slay Ride is one of my just favorite Christmas songs, probably because I'm a violinist and it's an instrumental right. jam. Um, but also it's funny that um, on my Christmas album, I have a couple of songs that are not my favorite Christmas songs. And I did that purposefully because I thought I want to love this song. And I'm going to make, I'm going to
0: force myself. I'm
1: going to force myself to make an arrangement that I would listen to, you know, not to say that it's a bad song because countless people love them. But Can for you example, which
0: ones those are off. The yeah,
1: end? yeah. Um, I've never liked Little Drummer Boy and I've
0: I'm with you I, on that.
1: I don't I've just never heard a version I've ever liked. And so it was almost like a fun challenge to be like, I'm going to make an arrangement that I like. And if I don't make one I like, it won't go on the album because um, and one of the things I've always thought was funny about that song is it's about a a drummer that gets to play for Christ and he gets to give this gift of his instrument. And yet the drums are so uninspiring in that song.
0: It's just tap,
1: tap, 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 tap. And so um, in my version, I let my drummer record on it and we gave him this palette and I was like, I want you to go ham. And it to me feels like if I was a drummer and I got to give a gift to someone of music, this is what, and it goes, it goes big. And so it's like a very celebratory version of little drummer boy that's anthemic and it feels like you'd hear it at a festival like um so i don't know it was a fun challenge to do that with a few songs um same with felice navidad it's okay it's not my favorite song yeah i love the rendition i did with mark ballas for this song it's very um
0: you did in french it's in felice navidad it's no i'm just kidding (laughs)
1: It's (laughs) i don't know um But it's very um, traditional sounding. Like we went very traditional flamenco Spanish guitar with it. Um, I don't know why no one's ever done that before, but they haven't. So we did.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You know, I I prefer the kind of darker sort of ethereal Christmas songs like What Child Is This and We Three Kings, the ones that are kind of like ominous and kind of, you know, spooky, which is kind of weird for to like a season of joy. No, like those are my favorites. Moments. Yeah. Like
1: the kind of dark Christmas. Ones. Right.
0: Right. And I, and I, lo- I, liked a lot of the stuff that, that when Sophie and Stevens did his like seven Christmas albums, there are a lot of stuff on there. Like there's one called Coventry Carol, which is like yes. an old sort of like spooky sort of, I like that kind of stuff. Um, do you listen to Christmas music when it comes on the radio or at this point, are you just like, let's listen to something else in the radio?
1: Oh, I love, I mean, I love it when Christmas radio comes out. And I definitely,
0: yeah.
1: um, I definitely listen to Christmas radio, but I also like to go find my favorite Christmas songs that don't make it to radio because radio is so specific. So right. I like it. It's like, I also got to have my Mannheim steamroller and like my, yes. you know, my classics yes. that aren't apparently radio ready.
0: Speaking of radio ready Christmas, it's kind of strange that we really haven't got in the last, 20, 30 years, we haven't got many new Christmas radio pop standards like Mariah Carol, I want for Christmas is you. Like that may be the last most recent one, and that's like it 1993 is. or something. Yeah. So it's like there's this almost like there was this like cutoff, like the door is closed. Kind no of no more. Yeah.
1: Because <laughs> everybody, everybody people, tries. Every they... artist takes their swing of really wanting that to be the next one.
0: <laughs> right, right. Did you take a swing on this one? Is there is there like a, a good radio friendly? song on here that could kind of
1: right up. Uh, I did take a swing. Um, you have to, you have to yeah, as an artist sure, when you're sure. writing a Christmas album, you got to take, and there's no swing pressure if it
0: doesn't work because there's nothing before you anyway. So,
1: right. Well, and yeah. it's like, you do your classics and then you, you write a couple originals. And so I, yeah. I was excited on this album. I did two, um, instrumental originals, which was a fun challenge for me, but also I did do some of the pop. Like I did, t- um, there's magic with David Archuleta and then there's two of your more like kind of down the middle like Christmas bop types that I did one with Bonnie McKee and one with Frawley so I'm pretty excited about those we're going to be doing them on tour and having a good time with it
0: yeah yeah you got um it's still early we're, we're recording this on September 12th but um I know you have the tour coming up so let's talk about the tour real quick for yeah too far carried away here you're doing a bunch of cities we'll throw the the graphic up here and um you can see if if Lindsey Sterling's come to you I'm sure a lot of these tours of either all these stops have either close to sold out or I'm sure that you've sold a lot of tickets on this thing already
1: uh, well the tickets just got announced today so like they just went up so I have no idea but I mean I guess when this comes out they will have been up for a while so that by now they're sold I out they
0: said <laughs> something I thought they've been out for a while I, th- I was trying to hype you up I was trying to be like I know, it's almost I know. sold out go so yes yeah, so when you're <laughs> listening to this go to what lindsaysterling.com or where, where what's the best place for tickets
1: yeah lindsaysterling.com and hopefully by then there's only going to be a few seats left
0: <laughs> yes yes and there's got, got to be a lot of there's a lot of AV a lot of video and effects and stuff like that the 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 non-musical portion do you have sure. have you had a like a producer a production person the whole time helping you with your stage shows and the effects and stuff, or do you hire someone new each time for each tour?
1: You know, I um I love putting on a show, it's one of like planning the show and bringing all the pieces to life is like one of my favorite parts of like what I get to do as an artist, and uh, one of my favorite hats to wear, if you will. And so I've always creative directed my own tours. Um, I come up with all the concepts. I, a lot of times I'll design the stage setups and everything. Um, but I do have an amazing team that I've worked with like, you know, forever. I feel like my tour family, like my crew guys that help me then bring it to life, Help me figure out my crazy ideas and bring it into a cohesive way i also have you know a choreographer that i've worked with for years that i can throw at her all my weird funny odd crazy fun concepts and she'll make them turn into dance routines and so um but yeah i i love prepping for tour i also do a lot of the costumes myself like my my living room looks like craftopia right now there's just like petticoats and lace and sparkles everywhere because i'm like piecing together costumes.
0: Wow. Yeah. So that you'd make your own costumes. I'm sure you have somebody helping you, but yes, but the the basic creation, the origin comes from you.
1: Yes. So I'll like piece together all these different things. Some of which, a lot of which I'll like buy this, I'll buy that. Then I'll sew this on it. And then I have a seamstress that like really makes them nice from my like
0: cleans up all your all the little
1: yes yeah she makes them like seamless stuff. like there's a lot of pins and what I give her a lot of safety pins and then she makes it like look magical.
0: Right, right right uh before we let you go before I let you go because I'm solo today uh I want to talk about because this podcast is not just about you know the new music coming out but it's also about life in the music industry. Mm. And you've created a whole sort of Lindsay Sterling ink so to speak of your uh, concerts and merchandise and music and all sorts of stuff um and i know that you've you've got the lindsay stomp moniker that you use uh still to this day and you've had big distributors and and stuff like that but how do you go about how have you gone about working out your own company controlling your voice controlling your image um and also not being bogged down in the business aspect of it
1: well, I think two things come to mind right away, and um, one of which is the the absurdity that I still make some of my own cost, like a lot of my own costumes, and right. that I still edit my own music videos, and I still, I still do so many of the things that I think people would be very surprised. It's like, you can hire someone to do that now. Why would you waste your time when there's more effective things I could do with my time? But that takes me back to some of the things I love about what I do. I've been sewing since I was a kid. I've been editing music videos since I was a teenager. Like, and so even though that may not be the most time efficient thing for me to do, and the most money efficient thing for me to do, it brings me joy. And it kind of because sometimes work can get so um, monotonous. And I love that I have after a long day of writing music or a long day of rehearsal or being on tour, like I can then like sit down and do my little things that bring me joy. Um, And I think that's important to find in this industry, the things that bring you joy. Maybe it has nothing to do with your work. Maybe it's you like to go out. Camping, you know, every month. I don't know. But finding the things that bring you joy and reminding yourself that it's important to play in those things and um, prioritize those as well. Um, And then secondly, I think um, keeping people close to you that just make you a better person. Um, this industry, as you mentioned before, sometimes people are like, never meet your heroes. People suck in this industry, um, which there are people that get really jaded and get hurt and then they hurt other people. But also there's so many amazing people in this industry that are inspiring and that work hard and make people feel good. So it's like finding your tribe. And when, you know, if you, if you bring someone into your business that doesn't make you feel good, like that part should move on. But when you find those people that are right for your business and make you feel good. And they treat other people well, do everything you can to hold on to those people. And I've, I've had the same managers for almost 10 years. I've had the same tour crew for some of them 10 years. Um, and it's because it's given me a feeling of family in this industry and it's allowed me to stay sane. And if I ever do start to change, you better believe it. They will let me know that, you know, what it, happened
0: it, to it, the old Lindsay?
1: Exactly. They will yeah. let me know. Bring back the old Lindsay because this version sucks. Like, um, And I, you need people like that around you to remind you that like we're all people. We're all doing all right. our best. We're a family. We're in this together. It's not a you. It's a we. And keeping it in that we mindset on my tour or on my management side. We're a team. One, it makes me not feel like I'm alone. And um, it makes everybody feel like they've got an ownership. And then because of that, we all work better together
0: i love it i love the positivity i love the energy i love that you have worked out this perfect mix of homemade and professional all in one package um (laughs) and congratulations on the album and we look forward to you out on tour and on tv snow waltz is out october 7th i believe so um, get that before halloween get in the spirit early Woo-hoo! And uh yeah and check out Lindsay on all her social platforms. Thank you so much Lindsay.
1: Awesome. Thank you as well. Have a good one and merry christmas.
0: Merry christmas. <laughs> all right. Bye. Bye. That was Lindsay Sterling. The new album Snow Waltz is out October 7th. That'll be it for me as always go to popdust.com to check out past episodes and all the latest in pop culture and music news. And of course go to Spotify and iHeartRadio to check out all our past episodes as well. So until next time, we'll see you later.